We've been studying lessons from Elijah, and uh, this morning we're going to cover chapters 20 and 21 of 1 Kings. And then, Lord willing, I'm planning one more lesson from 2 Kings, and that'll get us through all the days of Elijah. We've been talking about a lot of things. We've been talking about the price we must pay to be a child of God. We've been talking about the faith that we need to have, that we have to have a strong faith. We've been talking about that God asks us to do difficult and challenging things. We've talked about standing up for the truth in ourselves. We've talked about the fact that we must challenge false prophets, false teachers, and false religions. We've talked about the power and efficacy of prayer. We've talked about the enemies of the cross and that they will threaten us and try to stop us. We cannot allow them to silence us. And we've also talked about, as we ended last week, that we should not allow ourselves to be manipulated by Christ's enemies. This morning, as we start with three points from chapters 20 and 21, I want us to talk about the fact that when God determines the outcome of a battle, it is certain and it cannot be changed. Uh, let me just make one adjustment here. <clears throat> I think I'll probably need to do that. In the first Kings chapter 20, we read about two wars. Now, Jake read for us the biblical account of the first war. Both of these battles were waged by Ben-Hadad and the Arameans against Israel. And, uh, and Ahab won both of these battles by the word of the Lord. It was the power of God. And this showed that Jehovah is the Lord. The winner was predetermined by God. And there was no way that the Arameans could win. Absolutely no way they could win. Now Jeremy Crump is going to be doing some reading for us during the sermon. He's going to read for us the rest of chapter 20. That's verses 22 through 43. This is the second battle of the Arameans coming against Ahab. And then we're going to glean some lessons from that. So, Jeremy, if you'll come read that scripture for us. 1 Kings 20, beginning in verse 22. Then the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, Go, strengthen yourself and observe, and see what you have to do. For at the turn of the year the king of Aram will come up against you. Now the servants of the king of Aram said to him, Their gods are gods of the mountains. Therefore, they were stronger than we. But rather, let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than thee. Do this thing. Remove the kings, each from his place, and put captains in their place. And muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. At the turn of the year, Ben-Hadad mustered the Aramaeans and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. The sons of Israel were mustered and were provisioned and went to meet them. And the sons of Israel camped before them like two little flocks of goats. But the Aramaeans filled the country. Then a man of God came near and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Aramaeans have said, The God is a God of the mountains, but he is not a God of the valleys. 
Therefore I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So they camped one over against the other seven days. And on the seventh day the battle was joined, and the sons of Israel killed of the Aramaeans 100,000 foot soldiers in one day. But the rest fled to Aphek into the city, and the wall fell on 27,000 men who were left. And Ben-Hadad fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. His servants said to him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please let us put sackcloth on our loins and ropes on our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will save your life. So they girded sackcloth on their loins and put ropes on their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. And he said, Is he still alive? He is my brother. Now the men took this as an omen, and quickly catching the word, said, Your brother Ben-Hadad. Then he said, Go bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out to meet him, and took him up into the chariot. Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities which my father took from your father I will restore, and you shall make streets for yourself in Damascus, as my father made in Samaria. Ahab said, And I will let you go with this covenant. So we made a covenant with him and let him go. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to another by the word of the Lord, Please strike me. But the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, Because you have not listened to the, verse, uh, to the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as you have departed from me, a lion will kill you. And as soon as he has departed from him, a lion found him and killed him. Then he found another man and said to him, Please strike me. And the man struck him, wounding him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. As the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If for any reason he is missing, then your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Then he hastily took the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him that he was of the prophets. He said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life, and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house, sullen and vexed, and came to Samaria. The first point I want to make from... 1 Kings chapter 20, is that God's children will win the battle over Satan and sin. God has already determined this. And we see from the Bible when God determines who will win a battle, those individuals win every time. God had determined that Israel would win. And they did. Ahab won against Ben-Hadad and our Arameans. It's just like Jesus and his crucifixion and his ascension. At that time, Satan was judged and defeated. Jesus raised from the dead and is now at the throne of God at his right hand. God had determined that Jesus would be victorious, and he was. And it's like David over Goliath. David knew that the Lord had determined that Israel would win the, win the battle and that their enemies, the Philistines, would not conquer them, would not annihilate them as a people. And so he rushed to the battle line. 
a young boy to fight the giant because he knew God had determined the victory. Turn your Bibles with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want just for a moment to talk about this victory that God has already, been, has already determined for each of us. The, the victory is sure. There is no question that God's people and God's children will win this victory. Beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, that we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Now Paul is talking about here what he wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That not everyone is going to die. Yes, many brethren will die, many will fall asleep, but not all of them. And Christ will come. When he comes, he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And those who are alive at that time will rise up to be with him. And they will be changed in a twinkle of an eye. Now go down to verse 54. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. You see, this day is going to be a victory. Victory over death. Victory over sin. Go down to verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God has already determined who's going to win. He's already deter determined the victor, that is us. Now go down to verse 58. Therefore, because we know this victory is in store for us, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Our toil, our work is not in vain because this victory awaits and we know that it is sure. There is no changing this victory. But now, back to 1 Kings chapter 20. For us to win individually, we've got to obey God. But the victory is set for the children of God. Now, the only question is, are we going to be a child of God and participate in that victory? Notice in 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 35 through 37. Here is a prophet, and the prophet commanded two men by the word of the Lord to strike him. The first did not. And the prophet said, because you did not obey the Lord, as soon as you leave, you'll be eaten by a lion, destroyed by a lion, devoured by a lion. And he was. And he goes to the second man. He says, strike me. And the man did that. And the prophet went on his way. Now, this shows the necessity of obeying God. And, and this is a very good example because in just a moment, the prophet's going to come to Ahab. Because Ahab had not obeyed the Lord. So this example shows us we must obey God. 
It also shows us that we will be punished if we do not. This one who was killed by a lion. And it shows us that we must obey God to be successful as individuals. Israel winning was ordained by God. But Ahab was punished for his disobedience after he had defeated the Arameans. Now look down to verse 41 as we've already read this morning. Ahab and Israel were punished. Because Ahab had made a covenant with Ben-Hadad. You see, the second war, in the second war, Israel had defeated the Arameans. And Ben-Hadad and others had fled. And their fate was certain. that They were part of this destruction. And so Ben-Hadad sends some to Ahab and says, let's make a covenant. And so Ahab did that made a covenant, and let them go. And because of that, they were punished. In verse 41, then he hastily took the bandage away from his eye. This is the prophet. And the king of Israel recognized him, and he was of the prophets. He said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I had devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall shall go for his life and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and vexed and came to Samaria. You see, because Ahab had not obeyed God, he let Ben-Hadad and those other people go. So then he was punished and Israel also was punished. We must obey God to have part in this victory that God has ordained for his people. Turn over with me to 1 John chapter 5. Chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. In verses 3 and 4, we've already sung this morning about our victory in Jesus. And I want us to read from the scripture that song was taken. In chapter 5 and beginning in verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. You see this victory in verse 4. To participate in this victory we must love God and keep his commandments. Verse 4. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Faith that's based on hearing the word of God. Romans chapter 10 verse 17. And being obedient to the faith. This is our victory. We must obey God to participate in this victory. And we see that Ahab and Israel, although having received the victory as God ordained in his word, because they disobeyed, then they were punished. We know the outcome of the battle. We know those who will have victory. The only question is, are we going to be one of those who are victorious? We must be faithful unto death, and if we are, we receive the crown of life. The crown is given to the victor. We will be part of that victory. Now let's go over to 1 Kings chapter 21. Now this is when uh, King Ahab wanted Naboth 
to see. He commanded Naboth to do something that was a sin, and that is to sell his inheritance given to him by his father. And we see that Naboth refused to do that, and as a result, Ahab and Jezebel, Jezebel with some other wicked people, conspired against Naboth, and he was put to death, stoned to death, because he was falsely accused of cursing God and the king. This was a painful price, a great price to pay to obey God. But he paid that price. Uh, Jeremy, if you would come. And let's read verses 1 through 19. 1 Kings 21, verses 1 through 19. Now it came about after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is close beside my house, and I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place. If you like, I will give you the price of it in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab came into his house sullen and vexed because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen that you are not eating food? So he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in his city. Now she wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people and seat two worthless men before him and let them testify against him, saying, You curse God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the men of his city, the elders and the nobles who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters which she, she had sent them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. Then the two worthless men came in and sat before him, and the worthless men testified against him, even against Naboth, before the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent word to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give to you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession 
and you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. The first point I want to make from this reading is that we must obey God above all other human authorities. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 5, and I want to remind us of a very familiar thing. And this was when the apostles were commanded to sin. They were commanded to, to no longer preach the gospel. And in Acts chapter 5 and beginning in verse 27, verse 27, when they had brought them, this was they were before the council, the Sanhedrin, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. We learn from this that we must obey God. And we must obey God and put him first before men. Remember that these individuals, at this time, for this commitment, they were flogged. And after being flogged, they left there rejoicing. And they continued to disobey the Jewish leaders. And you remember this flogging, it's to be whip with a whip, that, that it had that it had these strands of leather and then at the end of one of these strands would be a sharp object so that the flesh is, is ripped apart and typically struck 39 times. And if you can imagine getting a whipping like this, I got some whippings growing up but nothing like this, and I was never beat up by somebody else. But if you can imagine getting a whipping like this and then rejoicing about it and then going on their way, continuing to disobey the Jewish leaders but obeying God. In chapter 4 and verse 19, when Peter was, set, was faced with a similar situation, having healed the lame beggar, and then before the, the Jewish council, verse 19 of chapter 4, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. We must give heed to God first. He is our priority. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They refused to obey the king and to worship the idol. They were thrown into a furnace of blazing fire, not knowing whether God would save them or not. They knew God could, but didn't know if he would or not. But God blessed them. In the end, he did save them. And having seen that, the king blessed the Lord and made a decree that anyone who said anything offensive about Jehovah would be punished for that. Our priority is in obeying God. Go with me to Hebrews 5. So this makes me think of, of this. It's important for us, therefore, to know and to understand the commandments of the Lord. 
And, and, and when we're faced with times like this, we must know sometimes instantly what is right, what is wrong. It's not like we can go home and say, let me think about that for a while, and I'll come back with you in a week or so. We've got to know right then when faced with a situation. Hebrews 5 and verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Here was a group of people who had not grown so that they did not know. Verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained. And brethren, our senses must be trained to discern good and evil. So that when faced with a situation, we know, we have been trained with the word of God, what is right, what is wrong, to think, to evaluate. In a moment's notice, what is right, what is wrong? Training those who are babes in Christ and training our children as parents, training the young in this congregation is a priority so that when they are faced with these decisions, their senses have been trained to know the difference between right or wrong. I was talking just last night with a, with a family. The, the man is one of the elders at Trillicucci. And we were talking about the situations young folks can be faced in today and the situations they have to make at a moment's notice. And we were talking about how much more difficult it is today. The young folks dealing with things that we could not imagine dealing with when I was young and growing up. This impresses us more and more and more as a congregation, as Bible teachers, as parents, the importance of training. Let me ask you this. Why do the majority of young people in some congregations fall away and in others they do not? Why is it when talking with some people in some congregations, they look over the last few generations and all of the young people basically have fallen away? And then you go to other congregations and that's not so. I believe it's because the young people are being trained by parents and Bible teachers some places and they are not in others. And this impresses upon us to train ourselves and to continually train and review not only ourselves, but the young ones. If a king, a president of a country, or any other person in authority over us commands us to do something that is sinful, even at the threat of death, we must disobey and suffer the consequences. Whether it be a parent, a spouse, a friend, a teacher, a boss, a policeman, we must disobey. We love Jesus more than father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, sisters, and even more than our own life. As disciples of Jesus Christ, Luke 14, verse 26. 
But, here's the but. If a person in authority commands us to do something that's not a sin, we are bound by God to obey. It doesn't matter if we agree with it or not. Children, it doesn't matter if you agree with your parents or not. If it's not a sin, you're bound to obey by God. Employees, you may not agree with it. You may not think it's the best thing. But if it's not a sin, you're bound to obey by God. If it is a sin, you're bound to disobey. And you're so very familiar, whether we talk with civil authorities, whatever it may be. So that's a two-edged sword. And it is very, very serious. Sometimes I think, at least as I look at myself, I'm willing to stand up and disobey the authority if it's a sin. But if it's something I don't really agree with, I'm sort of bound to not really obey that because, you know, I think I might know better than they know. But that's not the way it is. We are bound to obey. There is a third major point I want us to get out of this. And this comes from the end of chapter 21. That God forgives us and he blesses, blesses us if we humble ourselves. Now this is 1 Kings 21 verses 22 through 29. Ahab sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord and made Israel sin. And part of this is with Naboth. That this had been arranged to put him to death so that Ahab could have this vineyard that was close to his, his house that he wanted to have. But Ahab humbled himself before the Lord. Now the Lord still punished him, still punished his family, but he waited until he died. Ahab died. So let's read these few verses. Jeremy, if you'll come up and read for us. 1 Kings 21, verses 20 through 29 through the end of the chapter. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon you, and I will utterly sweep you away, and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger, and because you have made Israel sin. Of Jezebel also has the Lord spoken, saying, The dogs will eat Jezebel, in the district of Jezreel. The one belonging to Ahab, who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And the one who dies in the field, the birds of heaven will eat. Surely there was no one like Ahab, who sold himself to do Israel in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. He acted very abominably in following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel, it came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted and he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, 
I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. The last point we make this morning is that God will forgive us and bless us if we humble ourselves and obey him. Indeed, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, each and every one of us. All of us need to be forgiven. And, and when we humble ourselves and obey God, repenting of our sins, he gives us this gift of eternal life, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Turn your Bibles with me over to 1 Peter chapter 5, and, and I want to look at just one scripture, so many that we can look at this morning, but I want to look at at least one. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, and, and here Peter giving these instructions to different groups of people, he says, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And as God gave grace to Ahab, he he still had to suffer this punishment and this humiliation, but God had mercy upon him to wait until he, he had died and passed from this life. Then verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. I, I thought Bathsheba was a good example. We mentioned her the other Wednesday in our Bible class, the men's Bible class in Ecclesiastes. Bathsheba was complicit in the sin of adultery with David. Though the king had called her, she should have refused. She should have disobeyed, but she did not. Even if it was rape according to the Mosaic law, she should have cried out in the city, but she did not. Leaving from David and on her way home, she offers that which she should and goes through those days of purification according to the Mosaic law, and then she goes to her house. Both of them should have been stoned to death under the Mosaic law. But after they repented and God punished them, he blessed them. He used David and Bathsheba mightily in his kingdom. Bathsheba was Solomon's mother and in the lineage of Christ. When we humble ourselves before God, he forgives us and he blesses us. And so he did with David and Bathsheba. What does God expect from us? There, there are many short answers we could give, but I want to give a short answer from Micah. If you will turn your Bible over there, this will be the last scripture for this morning, Micah is the sixth minor prophet in our Bibles. Micah chapter 6, in verses 6 through 8. And here was all the sin of Israel, and Micah is calling them to repent and do the right things. Verse 6. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the Lord on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you <clears throat> but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? 
And that's what God wants from us today. To walk humbly with Him. When we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, believing and obeying Him, He forgives us and blesses us and exalts us at the proper time, no matter the sins of our past. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not that we don't care about sin, but in one way of, of speaking, it does not matter what we've done in the past. It matters what we are doing now. It's not that we don't care about sin. It's not that God doesn't care about sin. But God is willing to forgive and to overlook all of that as if it had never happened, forgetting those sins of our past if we humble ourselves and walk with Him. When we do that as Christians, we are born again and we are a new creation. What happened in the past doesn't matter. What we're doing today, that's what matters. So let's extend the gospel invitation. Turn your Bibles, I mean your songbooks, would you, to number 230. Victory in Jesus. The song taken from the scripture we read early in the lesson, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That the children of God have a victory and this victory is sure. We must humble ourselves before God. And obey him, and he will lift us up. He will forgive us, and he will bless us. And we will be part of this victory when Jesus Christ comes one day with his angels in flaming fire, with a shout of the archangel and the blast of the trumpet, when those who have fallen asleep in Christ are brought back with him and those of us who remain are changed in the twinkling of an eye and we rise up to be with him in the clouds and taken home to be with him in heaven forevermore. That is the victory. It's set by God. There is no changing it. It has been determined. The only question is, will we be part of it? And to do that, we must obey God. What has Jesus asked us to do? Simply believing in him, repenting of our sins. In other words, humbling ourselves to live the way God wants us to live. Confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and being baptized for the remission of our sins. Our sins will be forgiven, washed in the blood of the Lamb. We'll be a new creation, born again. We will be part of that victory one day when the Lord comes back. Make sure you'll be part of that victory, will you? Make sure you're right with God today so that if the Lord comes back today, you'll be part of it. If we can help you out at all this morning, why don't you step to the front now as we stand and sing.